Welcome to Health Law Talk, presented by Shahardi Sherman Williams. Health law broken down through expert discussion, real client issues, and real life experiences. Breaking barriers to understanding complex healthcare issues is our job. And good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, whenever you're listening to this podcast. Another episode of Health Law Talks with your hosts, Conrad Meyer, Rory Bellina. Rory, good morning. Good morning. Two experienced healthcare lawyers bringing you the latest and greatest in healthcare law or policy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Today we've got an interesting topic. We, we actually, you know what? We actually do. I think it is interesting. It's kind of timely in some respects for me, but, but what, what is it? What's on the slate today? Yeah. So I think a topic that we get a lot, um, and, and it comes up more and more as you see physicians get a little bit later in their career and they're investing in different things, but particularly surgery centers or, um, ancillary services is this concept of economic economic credentialing and uh, maintaining their medical staff privileges within that and their ownership too. Right. And 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 absolutely. And it's, and when you say the word economic credentialing, I don't know people understand what that means. What does what does that mean? Yeah, so to you. And and I think that there's no I don't think there's a hard and fast no. definition of what economic credentialing is, but mm-hmm. it's the concept of remaining credentialed or remaining to have your privileges or you know even so far as still being an owner in a center based on essentially the economics of what you bring to that center. How much you bring in. Correct. Right. Correct. How many cases you do, what you bring to the table. Correct. And it could be it could be valued at number of cases, reimbursement rates, just total profit that you that can be brought to the center based on cases that you're performing and referring in. So there's definitely different ways to measure it and there's regulatory issues with it, but you see it come up um, with most ancillary services and, and surgery centers because it, it kind of has to be measured and done. Otherwise, you know, you could run into financial problems within that center. Or in the case, in some cases, if you're lucky enough to still have a private hospital, right, with with physician ownership in that in that context. So surgery centers, private hospitals, the ones that are still left sure. post-ACA, right? And... Um, and, and other ancillary services or entities, right, that have physician ownership in. And I think it, it, it's a good way to explain this to our listeners is to explain kind of how this starts. And it, it typically starts with if you're offered a piece of ownership, what happens after that? So, like, for let's, we'll start the easiest. The easy one is the hospital. Right. Okay, so you have a private hospital that is physician-owned. And you're brought in, and of course, it's a hospital, so it's it's a business, it's a business. And in order to make the business run, you need to have cases. And so, um, through how do you ensure that your physician owners who are reaping the benefits of ownership through a distribution of profit of the hospital, correct, also bring in the cases to the hospital, right? for that revenue. So, um, and can you even, and do can that? you even do that? Can under, you do right, that? right. Under, under a regulatory scheme. So technically you can't under a regulatory scheme under, uh, even if it's just a private hospital with no Medicare and Medicaid, because usually your state has some sort of an anti-kickback law like Louisiana does. Correct. So to get around 
I guess, sort of skirt the issue, right? You, you couch the number of cases in terms of patient quality. And you put in your bylaws that each physician must do a certain number of cases in order to meet competency uh, for patient safety. And, I'm, 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 and there's a reason for that, too. Yeah, I mean, what's, what's the reason for putting in there a floor on number of cases that a, a surgeon must set, do or perform at the center? Uh, it, it, it's, it's couched in quality and it's couched in patient safety. So, in other words, we want to make sure that you, Dr. John Doe or Jane Doe, has the ability to provide the professional medical services in a very safe and competent manner. And the only way we can ensure that you can do that is through the number of cases that you perform. So just like anything else, I mean, the more you, more cases you do, the better quality or the better competence that you have because you're doing it more. And we can see, we meaning the administration or the, or the, uh, or the, 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 the medical officers can see that that doctor is doing X amount of cases. So, uh, there, you know, if there's no complications, no callbacks, nothing like that, then you realize the doctor, hey, that person is competent. However, it also meets the business need of that facility because you're bringing in the revenue, right? right? You can kind of benchmark if right. Dr. Doe is doing, if he's required to do 20 cases and we expect to be reimbursed X, right. 20 times X is that's how much we can expect to get if we bring him on as an owner. Correct. Okay. If I'm the government or a state agency, though, do I think that that runs afoul of a volume-based? Well, she, absolutely. I mean, you're, you're basically you're telling someone they have to bring in X amount of cases in order to make the revenue, uh, but it's it, it's it's kind of I guess it's skirting the issue because you're doing you're couching in our patient safety, but in the same in the same sentence. You're also requiring revenue to come in the hospital, which, remember, you can't pay any remuneration for patients. For volume. Or volume-based. Volume right, and correct. This is, and yeah. this is requiring a volume-based. Based commitment. Correct. Right. And so, in your experience, have you run into any issues with it outlined as you described, patient safety, but it has a floor of X amount of cases per month or per year? I think the the issue comes in to play, right, when you're the administration and you're seeing the numbers and you have physician owners who aren't meeting the criteria but yet are getting profit distributions. And so in your mind, you're thinking, well, <laughs> this doctor, kind of behind the scenes, you're not, I mean, you can't, it's, it's, again, it's sort of this unwritten, this unspoken rule, right, that, hey, I need Dr. John Doe, you know, who's supposed to be doing 20 cases. This, this doctor's doing five or 10, but yet getting profit distributions. Again, when you look at all the doctors on the, uh, on the owner side, how do you think those other owners are going to feel if they see this one doctor not, not up to snuff? He's not, he or she's not doing the number of cases. Do they want to give that doctor a check every, every distribution? So is it really patient? Are you really concerned about patient safety? I think you, I think you are. I think you are. I don't think it's just about profits. I think that that there's a general feeling okay. that you want you want to have you you're, in order for your hospital to be able to survive, you know, you need to be able to hold yourself out to the public as something of, of a very high quality. To ensure that high quality, I think it meets both standards. I think by by doing the number of cases, you can show competency. You can work within the guidelines of the hospital. So therefore, you can 
advocate to the public that yes, we have a very high quality, competent physicians, you know, staff member to that that does cases here. And in the same token, in the same side of the coin, you can then ensure a revenue stream within the hospital, right? that would be viable, not only for just survival, but also for a, a profitability in a sense. And then, and, and nobody can really, how can you question that? In other words, if I'm a government regulator, if I'm the DOJ or if I'm the AG coming in and in my bylaws, I say, you know, you must do 20 cases at this hospital to ensure patient safety and competency, who am I, how can I, how can I attack that? That's true. That's true. Well, wait a minute. What if? What if it's. <laughs> I knew you could go ahead. Okay. What if it's, you must bring in X amount of revenue? That's different. Okay. Totally different. Because to- now you're putting a dollar figure on now it. Now we're putting a value figure on it because you could change it for each specialty. Yes. Each doctor. You well, that was even, my next question. Or our how much they invest. If they invest more, do they get to do less cases, you know, or less dollar amounts? Well, that, and that, and that was, that was where I was going with that. So okay. now what, what if the bylaws said, well, neurosurgeons only have to bring in two cases, right? Because their reimbursements are so much <laughs> right. higher. Right. Well, I think then you get into trouble. So your recommendation would be to bring in everyone under the same threshold of a minimum amount of cases, no matter the specialty. It's, to, it's neutral. To meet the, not to meet, but to, to feel comfortable that you can't be called out on a volume-based remuneration. Yes. I mean, in that way, it's neutral. It's, 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 it's revenue neutral. Well, it's not revenue neutral, but in other words, it's, an, it's a neutral number, Right. right? Um, you know, but here's the problem. Here's, here's the, here's where you're going to run up an issue on that. So let's just say I'm the neurosurgeon and I, you know, I'm told on the bylaws that say the number is 10 cases. This is, I mean, I'm just pulling something out of the air. Right. right? And my revenue on 10 cases happens to generate $10 million, $10 million. Right. Whereas, you know, maybe somebody else's revenue on 10 cases is only $500,000. And yet I have the same percentage of ownership as the person who only has $500,000 of revenue versus my 10 million. How do you think I'm going to feel? Yeah, I mean, you're going to feel that you either don't need to do as much cases over there or you should be getting more because you bring more value to the center. So, which, how, so how do you manage that? If you're the administrator at the hospital, if you're, if, you're, if you're the lawyer to the hospital and you get the call, what do you tell them? Have, I mean, have you seen this before, Rory? Yeah, it, I mean, what, it, what do you say? It's come up a lot. It's come up in a lot of conversations predominantly that I see with surgery centers because you have these surgery centers that are built – they typically take a, a a fair, you know, a substantial investment to get off the ground, to get, um, you know, depending on the type of the center, if there's any licensing that needs to be done, mm-hmm. and then, um, you know, staffing it, the equipment, all right. that. So there's a there's a significant upfront cost, and then you want to recoup that cost as soon as possible. So the question comes up: Well, we've recouped that cost, and like you said, we've got. We've got this one doctor who has a 5% ownership and he does one case over here because he, he, he has an ownership at another place where he's got a bigger ownership interest or he lives far away or, or he or she, whatever it may be. Right. That's where it comes up. And you, like you said, you've got doctors that ought to get her frust- frustrated 
because they're doing a lot more volume, a lot more cases at this surgery center. You've got another doctor who they never see, but they're all getting the same check or you know distribution every quarter. So then you, you, you not, we're, now we're treading into the economic credentialing. Yeah, so you get the call from the administrator that says, Conrad, Dr. John Doe, is he's done one case here this past year. He's not meeting the bylaws that say he has to do 10. You know, can I kick him out? And, and, and that's when, you know, well, first off, I want to see the bylaws, right? You want right. to make sure. And then are the bylaws... I guess what you would say economically neutral, right? In other words, right. in other words, by having the same number of cases, I, I have an argument to say that this is the bare minimum you must meet in order to be competent and, and ensure patient safety at this hospital. I mean, it would sort of be like riding a bike. You know, if I were to bike, you know, once a year and decided, well, hey, you know, I'm just going to ride this bike one day, one day a year versus if I rode a bike you know, 10 days out of the month, every month out of the year, who do you think would be more proficient? Right. I mean, I mean, I mean, I guess it's riding a bike, but I mean, still, I mean, I think the more times you do things, there's an argument to say that, the, you know, the, the measures in that, in that facility, whether it's a surgery center, whether it's a hospital, whether whatever it is, that you're going to be well, you're going to be well, well versed in that, that facility's culture, in their methodology, and that they, they themselves will in turn see your competency. So let me change the facts that I just gave you. You've got a doctor who is I now, love when you do this. He's a, I don't know what kind of doctor. He's a general surgeon. Okay. You know, yeah. Fixes breaks and bruises and that kind of thing. And he's is meeting the requirement, mm -hmm. the, but he's meeting just that requirement. The, the and he's bare minimum. And he's bringing low reimbursement cases. Mm-hmm. And he's still getting the same distribution as the neurosurgeon who's bringing the high reimbursement cases. All the doctors are talking. They're mad. You've got your neurosurgeon who says, I'm going to sell and I'm going to go across the street because I'm going to get a bigger piece of the pie. What do you do in that situation? That's a tough call. That's a real tough call. Um, I'm going to try to motivate, right? my lower performing physicians into coming in and doing more cases. And I'm going to, but how do you do that? If him, if this general surgeon who comes in and he's doing 10, mm -hmm. if he does another 15 or 20, that might be another $10,000, you know, to him, it's not worth his time. He's, he's, he's doing fine. Just doing the minimum and getting his distribution every quarter. How do you, how do you do that? I think that's a that's a tough nut to crack. Okay, I mean that's really hard. So, you know, the only thing I can do is is bring that person in, sit them down, and say, "Look, you need to, you need, you know, try to motivate them to bring in more work into the facility, and 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 really focus on the fact that not only do we have the highest patient standards and the highest or the lowest uh, readmit rate or the lowest infection, you know, acquired infection rate." Um, but that, you know, you, you, this is a business too. It's not just that this is a business and the business is not going to run itself. You know, if you just, you know, walk away and hope the lights stay on. Now, do you have that in having that conversation though, are you concerned that your administrator is going to essentially be saying you're not bringing enough volume or value here? 
and you're going to have an improper termination and you're threatening to terminate No, this. no, because you don't do it like that. I mean, if the, the bylaws say that you have to bring 10 cases in, then that, guess what? If, the, if that person's bringing 10 cases in, there's really nothing I can do. So how do you get them out? Well, you can't unless it's done through, uh, I mean, <laughs> right. I mean, unless, unless you're, you know, targeting someone, Sure. but the only way you can really, honestly, the only way that you're going to be able to do that is if one, they don't renew their privileges right. and two, uh, either they're incompetent, they're impaired, they have a behavior issue that threatens patient safety. I mean, that's really the only two ways, uh, the only two ways to do it. I so mean, at that, at that <clears> point, <throat> your administrator just has to be aware of here are the ways, the ways that they could be terminated. And, Unfortunately, some of the administrators are probably going to be looking for that then because they want to get that low producing physician out. I, I think unconsciously, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't think anyone would ever admit that. No, no, of course not. But I think unconsciously, if I know that, you know, one of my doctors who's a lower, you know, gross margin physician who only does the bare minimum to get by. You're going you to know, be checking all of his notes. I'm checking everything, you know, because, because I mean, remember now, if, if, if they're impaired, if they're disruptive, if they're do, if you're incompetent, anything that jeopardizes patient safety, right? That's an actionable effect. I mean, any physician would. Sure. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's the highest margin or lowest margin, sure. but but let me just say this. I mean, I agree with you. If I'm looking at something a little more closely, it's going to be the one who's going to lower margin, right? Correct. And I think that you're having administrators that will look and see, was he late on his notes? Did he not? And they will never admit that. They will no. never, you, you will never get them to admit that. They'll never say that, but they'll, they're, they're actively doing it. Correct. Because if I'm, for example, say I'm the top, th the, one of the top three grossing physicians at that facility, do you think the administrators heavily looking at the notes or the competency level of that physician versus the guy or the girl who's doing the bare minimum to stay qualified under the bylaws? Absolutely not. No, no, they're they're going to look for a way right. to legally get out the low the the doctor doing the low amount of cases. And, I mean, that happens all over the country. It happens everywhere, I'm sure. You sure. know, it, and that happens not just in hospitals, but I'm sure in in regular workforces. I mean, if you have someone that is, you know, you know, that you feel might be a liability, but you can't terminate them on grounds, you know, you, you're trying to find other ways to do it. Sure. So let's say you represent the doctor who has now been terminated. He is the low producing or, you know, low right. volume case. I know where you're going with this. And he comes to you and says, mm -hmm. hey, they, they kicked me out. I was doing what the bylaw says. Right. They said I was late on notes. And I, I think this is a, I think this is a, a weak way that they that they've terminated me for. What are my options? What can I do here? So at that, at that point, you you know, obviously you want to copy the bylaws. You want a copy of whatever the MEC has, the medical executive committee has in terms of the delinquencies or whatever the charge is, right? If it's failing to do the medical records timely, or if it's, you know, botching up the surgery order, right? So you're delaying other surgeries and that it could affect patient safety. Whatever the issue is, you need to see, you know, what are, your, what are, the, what are the requirements? Did he or she violate those requirements? Because I think it's really hard to defend yourself on an economic credentialing when you and when they're kicking you out over competency issues and you've actually violated those competency issues. Even I mean, if it's the most technical thing, I didn't wear purple scrubs <clears throat> on Thursday. Right. And they kicked me out for that. The smallest thing. That's why I always, when I'm meeting with someone or talking with someone and they're looking into investing in or doing something like that, and it always says, 
it's always going to say in there in their buy-in i agree to abide by all the rules policies procedures sure, yeah. always ask for a copy of that because you don't want something to be snuck in there and i always use the purple scrubs as my example just because it's easy um is you don't want something to be snuck in there that they could you have no clue that you're violating it and you're that guy doing the low amount of cases and they get you on it conrad you didn't wear purple scrubs last thursday you violated the bylaws you're out i agree with that and you know what else i tell on the flip side not just the doctor rory but administrators and cmos uh i tell make sure that you actually read your bylaws so that when you do decide to take action you do it properly i can't tell you the number of times where i've gotten calls after the fact of administrators or cmos chief medical officers or even mec who have taken action on a physician after the fact right and we're getting to the point where they that that physician is requesting a panel a hearing a fair hearing through the bylaw process so and i asked them well what tell me tell me what led up to the the request for fair hearing and they go through well we you know we 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 you know, we noticed this. We did an investigation, and 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 and, and, and so wait, t- time out, time out. What do the bylaws say you must do? And then suddenly, when you look at what the bylaws require and what was done, they didn't they didn't follow it. So, in other words, say for example, the bylaws say that in order to start an investigation, I mean, I'm not, it, it does sometimes they don't say this, but but that you must give the aggrieved practitioner some notice through through like you know we you know mec is hereby starting an investigation and the bylaws require that but you didn't do it well then guess what you have you have not given that aggrieved doctor notice so i tell administrators physicians who are part of the process know your bylaws know what you need to do and usually get 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 the attorney for the hospital involved at the front because usually you you prepare the bylaws for i keep using the surgery center as an example when they're getting started, yes. when they're bringing people in, and, it, and they put them away, it goes in a filing cabinet, and it's never looked at again. And then when you want to get someone out, or if you're having an issue, or if you just you get someone out, and, they're, and then they they get an attorney involved, and they you find out you didn't follow your own bylaws, and then you've got a That's huge a issue because then you get into issues of well, I was, you know, a lot of bylaws will have different things. I was talking with someone recently. A lot of bylaws will have, well, if you're terminated for cause, we get to reduce, you know, we or if, if you've got shares, we need to buy them back. We get to reduce the value of it. But That's you, true for, for evaluation correct. on a redemption. I got it. But if you're terminated without cause, right. then you get you get the full, full value. value. So right. I think that that becomes very important because you don't want to get into a situation where, okay, We've got Dr. Conrad. He didn't wear the purple scrubs on on Thursday. That'd be a terrible rule, by the way. I know, I know. I purple just scrubs? Use it. I, well, I'm an LSU fan, so I use it for <laughs> that reason. Um, and I use it because it's it's ridiculous. It is but ridiculous. It's simple to understand that there could be something in the bylaws that you that is ridiculous. don't know about, but did the administrator put it in there purposefully to have a golden ticket to get someone out? Did they put in there like a little a little safety parachute for them to get anyone. See, now you sound like Willy Wonka. <laughs> That's true. Um, 
I, meant, I lost my train of thought now that you well, I, I threw the Willy Wonka I caught you yeah. I got you didn't I well, well, now I lost my train of thought but, but you know what wait, I want to tell you this though so so the problem I mean so now you have a due process issue if you didn't follow that right yes and you might have to unwind what you've done and go Correct. back because remember there are time limits so in other words <clears throat> once an adverse action has been taken on the privileges of a physician that physician you know, usually in the bylaws has some time period to request a fair hearing and it ha and you have to go through proper notice. So in other words, uh, you know, I think it's some bylaws, most bylaws say 30 days or something like that. And that, and that the way that the physician must request a fair hearing is, is very specific that you have to send letter to the CEO requesting fair hearing. And I recall in one case, I'll give you an example, the doctor emailed email the the ceo and nothing was ever done the ceo never got the email well no i think the ceo got the email but in the bylaws it didn't say the notice the notice must be by written certified mail ah. so in other words the email according to the bylaws did not suffice now if i brought that to court i guarantee you a judge would look at me or look at the ceo sideways and say are sure. you telling me that you knew about this in an email and you're telling me you didn't have notice sure I, that, that's kind of silly right? right right you know but that that kind of specificity you don't want to have to go to court on that right. i mean you want to get it done right from the right. beginning right and if you want if you're back on the administrator side and if yeah. you want to get someone out you really want to make sure that it's done properly because if you don't, I, now I know where I was going before. If you don't, there could be a situation where it's now it changes from a you know a terminated with cause to a terminated without cause. Yeah, and then you're paying them more than you expected to on redeeming at their units or their shares. Well, one thing in Louisiana through the the Granger case, I don't know if you're familiar with that case. That that case is Supreme Court case. It dealt with with medical staff bylaws and it it laid out now by jurisprudence that the Supreme Court now has said the bylaws in Louisiana are contractual. So it's it's before Granger, pre-Granger, they, they were not considered a contract. Now it's a contract. So so I tell administrators and physicians, you know what, if it's a contract, you, you have to abide by the four corners of that bylaw agreement. And so if the bylaw agreement says you must do X, and you fail to do X, you have breached that contract. So you, you know, and I agree with you. It gets dusted off, right? After you have to, have to wait, probably the formation, right? Sure. And then you know, the, nobody sits down to go through it and say, "Hey, let's look at this. We might need to revise this." And it could be anything. It could be from your patient safety, right, competency, number of cases, to your due process and fair hearing plan process, right? Sure. So, uh, I mean, it, it's... And you could you brought up revising. That's, a good, that's yeah. a good point is, you know, you could get into a situation where you realize that you need to change your bylaws because you do have physicians that are not doing enough cases to meet patient safety or, frankly, they're not doing enough cases to keep the lights on. And so you have to go into your bylaws and revise them. But, but then at that point, if you don't think about these issues on the front end, are you going to have enough votes to revise your bylaws? Because, you know, the low the doctor with the low amount of cases might not vote for it, and he might he might be able to hold up a change that's going to affect him if he kind of sees what's coming. True. I mean, that's very true. 
So why why you know try to get it on the front end is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. The the point that I was making with that kind of do it at the beginning narrative is is you really want to put in protections on on the front end. And how many? Let me ask you this because I know this happens. So so say you have a client that calls you and you're doing a surgery center, right? How often when when you sit down and say, okay, okay, guys, girls, you know, here here we go. We're gonna need, you know, and what kind of entity we're doing here? We're doing you know uh, an operating agreement. We're doing what are we doing here? And then it comes down to okay, as far as the facility goes, you know, we need to have some sort of bylaw provisions. And when usually when they get to that, when you when you get to the bylaw, oh guys, we have to girl, we have to have some bylaws here. You know, what what sort of reception do you get when you say at that point? Yeah. That's that's the part where they're like, uh, we'll, we'll get to that or we, we could take care of that <laughs> right. later. No one ever wants to do that because it's usually uh, time consuming, a lot of talking back and forth. Uh, it's an expensive document to just prepare. So a, a lot of times when I bring that up, they say, well, let's just, just download it from Google. Yeah, right? let's just get let's just get formed with the secretary of state and get us our tax ID and. We'll figure out the bylaws. We'll and then we'll figure it out. Is usually you know we'll, we never do it. So, like the worst mistake, sure, worst sure. mistake because you're losing out on protections that you need to have in place for yourself. I mean, I give you the case. I can't remember the case. It wasn't. Uh, oh man, it was a Texas case. Okay, and I don't know it. I can't remember off the top of my head the name of the case. But basically, it was a cardiologist who was doing um, catheterizations in the cath lab. And he had a higher mortality rate than normal. And the chief medical officer, or was it the chief medical officer, was maybe the chief of, 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 of cardiac surgery, uh, came in, who was a, also a competitor, summarily suspended the guy because he said, you, you, no more no more caths for you. You can't do any more caths or what have you. Summarily suspended the guy. And then ultimately, through the suspension, he got kicked out, okay? Well, he sued the facility on economic credentialing because they didn't, and, do, and, and lack of due process in the bylaws, because the summary suspension that was issued by his, his, his basically his alleged chief competitor. Sure. And the... Uh, and the chief of cardiology was not a person listed in the bylaws that could issue a summary suspension. So basically it was improperly issued by a competitor. You know what the jury awarded? I do not. 300 million plus. Now it got ultimately knocked down. Sure. But, but still they... 300, do you want to go to a trial? And then something, right. you know? So... And pay interest until oh, the appeals are up. Man, it's terrible. So, so the, I mean, that's that. That was one example, the, Rory. The of the point bylaws. of that right. is that follow the, the yeah, follow your own bylaws. Have bylaws. Make sure you know what they say. If you don't know what they say, contact that's, that's, that's you don't somebody. download from Google. Please, right, 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 and make sure that you're really thinking everything through. And if and look, it happens all the time. If if you need to get a doctor out because they're low performing or whatever or right. whatever the case may be you have to talk to someone to find out if you can do it how you could do it while being comfortable with the risk associated with it because odds are if you terminate the lowest hanging fruit the doctor who's doing the lowest amount of cases they're going to know it and they're probably not going to be happy with it and they're probably going to get an attorney involved and say this is economic credentialing i was wrongfully terminated you're violating the state anti-kickback statute, and I'm going after you now. So you have to be very comfortable with your own bylaws to be able to defend 
how you got this document. And that's where knowing your bylaws is, is very important. That's where knowing where you have the teeth, right? So you have the bare, the minimum case number for patient safety, which I think anyone, any of us agree yes. would be appropriate as a defense, and right? And you could have some more subjective things in there that, right. that you... Maybe the number of callbacks, yeah. right, for acquired infections, yeah. and that could be under, under safety issue. Uh, you know, the, the, your your continued upkeep of certain maybe CME. Sure. Um, I don't know if bylaws that really get into that weeds. Have but. you ever seen a situation, though, and I can't think that I have. Have you ever had a situation where mm. a doctor is kicked out, they challenge it, and the surgery center provides the criteria on why the doctor was kicked out, and then that doctor in turn says, well, everybody's doing that. No one's doing their notes on time. We've all got this callback rate or this complication rate. You know, I think, again, this goes back to the theme of our conversation today is that, you know, are you comfortable saying that, okay, Dr. John Doe, he really was low at the bottom and no one else is having these issues? Well, if, if, if the administrator calls me and tells me that fact scenario, the, the the lawyer in me is going to tell the administrator that you need to apply the bylaws evenly. Correct. So you can't cherry pick and Rules. say right. You got if if everyone else is having callbacks, and guess what? Those folks need to be on notice too. Otherwise, you're why you're opening yourself you're, up. You're you're picking out. You're finding a reason to get him out. And right. He, and and these doctors know. They all talk and they all. They're not they, stupid. They all know, they know. that. Oh, this is a rule in our bylaws that no one follows, but they're just using it against me because I don't do cases there. Well, one thing that you can do, and I think it's good, is is if you don't do it on the front end, you can always take the bylaws, do a revision, and do a vote. You do a vote. Say, look, we're gonna, we're you know, in order to continue our record of great patient safety and and low hospital acquired infections and low callbacks, you know, we want to up the case number from whatever, 10 to 20 or whatever it might be, and, and vote. And if everybody votes for it, then there's no issue. Then now you have a new baseline. Sure. Um, but I agree with you. I think it's best to do that in the front end. Sure. Because as, as you as you progress, right, you sort of figure out who's doing what. And the only other option you have, if it's not the number of cases, remember, is if, are they impaired? Right. Are they disruptive? Right. Or are they incompetent? Right. Because then you could do your your FPPE or OPPE. We can get that's a whole nother conversation. Sure. But then you know, and, and I'll be candid with you. I've never had a doctor come to me and tell me that hey, we have an economic credentialing problem. Because usually what I say is okay, tell me what's going on, and it's always some competency issue. It's always oh, they made me do an OPPE. I had to go to this program and get evaluated and. And, and the recommendation was that I do X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, well, well then what do you want me to do? I mean, the, you, you, you got called out on competency. You got evaluated. They told you the recommendation. Follow the recommendation. Right, right. But basically, you know, I think that the takeaway here is that right. you can't tie in your owners to bringing in a certain dollar amount or or threshold. You're going to get, you're get bit. You're going to get in trouble for doing that. So if the financials are not working for that physician, you cannot base your decision on that. Now, you know, in the back of your mind, is that one of the factors? Yes, it probably is for some administrators. I know it is. But you have to be able to defend it in other ways. And that's how you defend it. Correct. You know? Correct. So have good bylaws. Make sure um, that you don't violate economic credentialing in that way. Well, as usual, Rory... 
you give sound advice. You know, if I was a doctor, I'd be your client. Thank you. <laughs> Same for you. Thank you. Well, thank you. Well, look, I think that's going to wrap it up for another episode of Health Law Talks here at Shahardi Sherman Williams. We have uh, enjoyed this episode and, uh, you know, look for the next one coming up soon. We'll get this up in the air shortly. Enjoy. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to this episode of Health Law Talk presented by Shahardi Sherman Williams. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel. Make sure to give us that five-star rating and share with your friends. Shahardi Sherman Williams is providing this podcast as a public service. This podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast does not constitute legal advice, nor does this podcast establish an attorney-client relationship. Reference to any specific product or entity does not count as an endorsement or recommendation by Shahardi Sherman Williams. The views expressed by guests on the show are their own and their appearance does not imply an endorsement of them or their entity that they represent. Remember, please consult an attorney for your specific legal issues.